Welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. This is a podcast run by artists for artists where we talk about what it means to be one. I'm Tun Miai, the producer with our host, Dina Brodsky, Sophia Kayafis, and Marshall Jones. This is being recorded between our many jobs and side hustles. We bring you in-depth investigations into the lives of artists we admire and the stories behind the creative journey. So stay on the grind while we fill your mind. Hello, welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. My name is Sophia Kayafis and today I'm interviewing with Dina Brodsky and Marshall Jones. Say hey guys. Hi everyone. And we're interviewing Zoe Frank. <laughs> who uh, is speaking to us from Colorado, and she decided to give us some time out of her studio day. Tell us about what she does and why she does it. Hi, thanks for having me. It's, yeah, really nice to, to meet you all and uh, be here. I remember your paintings back from when they were, like, atelier style, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, like academic nudes, and I was like, oh, my God, I want to be able to do that. And then I remember watching your work change and being like, I want to be able to do that, too, and that. <laughs> uh, well, I felt so sheepish when I first started changing my work after the atelier. It felt like I had, you know, I, I was part of this community with, you know, that loved this very conservative type of work. And I was doing these really, um, what felt like really crazy experiments. Um, and so it's nice that people actually liked seeing, some, at least some people like seeing that change. Um, that's nice to hear. What was, what was the community you were in? What school? I stayed at Gage Academy of Art um, with Juliet Aristides. Um, so I did a oh, yeah. four-year four classical painting atelier with her. That's in Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how did you find that? Or like, you know, like, did, did, you all, did, did you just know that you wanted to learn that kind of art? Or, I mean, I feel like everyone with an atelier training kind, kind of stumble, stumbles on it in some sort of search or, you know, like, like, like generally an adventure leads them there. So what, what led you there? Yeah, no, it certainly was. I did a year and a half of undergraduate um, work and then kind of dropped out of university. Um, I knew I wanted to be doing art and I um, kind of, I I feel like I didn't have the right guidance in high school to figure out how to do that. Um, And my godmother was living in Seattle. And so when I left school, I went to live with her for a little bit as a transition. And um, her housemate was taking classes at Gage and I kind of was planning to just try out some taking art classes and being able to paint full time while I was there. Um, and the first day I kind of stumbled into Juliet's Atelier and, and saw the work they were doing and was just, you know, completely blown away by the kind of level and quality of the work and felt like, oh my gosh, I've like found the thing that I, that I you know, kind of always wanted to be doing and I didn't know it actually still existed today. Um, That's so exciting. I mean, yeah, I remember... So- having like moments like that where I was so 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 inspired and it's like you just can't wait to get going what kind of stuff did you do there what kind of stuff were you studying at the atelier it was the full you know a year of drawing um a year of grisaille painting and then finally moving into color and doing um half the day in the life room and then half the day doing master copies and cast drawings and paintings and um still life and all of that by the way, what drove the decision to drop out of college? I mean, you're obviously not finding something there that you needed, but it's not an easy decision to take. Um, so what, what happened to you in college? <laughs> yeah, it felt like I, I, there, I, it was a really small, sweet liberal arts college that had 
one art one art professor and he was like on sabbatical the second year and so the librarian was teaching art classes <laughs> it was just not a good place to be studying art at all um so i felt like it was really limited there um and i just i wasn't happy so um and which, yeah. which year was this that was uh uh gosh um I'm not good at the math. <laughs> what year did I even start? Maybe it was uh, 2006 or something that I left. Somewhere around there. Right, so, so that was when kind of, you, you know, when ateliers were just starting to become a thing. Because I feel like a few years before that, it was kind of impossible to find anywhere to study the kind of art that you ended up studying. Um, yeah, it, there's been this incredible kind of surge of them in the last, yeah decade or whatever it's well, been. And, and a surge of artists being able to survive making, you know, making that kind of work too, like making it, teaching it, et cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, so you're, you're in your... Oh, what kind of, oh sorry. Uh, what kind of art were you doing when you were a kid? Or were you doing art when you were Yeah, that was, you know, I spent all my time as a kid. Uh, I was an only child and spent a lot of time making stuff in the basement, like uh, little sculptures and little paintings and books and illustrations and stuff. Um, and had this fantasy about, like, Renaissance painting. Um, that was what I kind of really fell in love with. Um, so it felt like the atelier was, like, the closest thing I could get to, you know, being able to study under Raphael or whatever in the 1500s. Um, but your, your big, oh, sorry. No, go on. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway, you know, leaving the atelier uh, in terms of, I don't know, it could be conceptual or it could be formal, but thinking back, you know, what, what was your biggest takeaway from leaving the, the atelier? I felt like I spent four years learning how to paint a single object accurately under a single light source, um, which is like really, really hard to do and incredibly valuable as a skill. Um, but then I left and I felt like, wait, there's so much more to making paintings and to making real work um, beyond that. And so that's what I've been trying to figure out ever since, I guess. Um, but learning how to actually draw and paint from observation um, and, and do that with precision and accuracy and it still undergirds everything that I'm doing. So I feel like it was um, a, like, I just, I love doing the training and it felt really um, like a really good foundation to have. Um, well, I think it's such an important turn that you've made kind of like, like the idea for everyone on any path, right? You learn some skills and then become yourself through that. Did, did you have any mentors or any, you know, art books that influenced how you changed your direction? I went to graduate school afterwards, and that was really helpful to help me kind of move out of that atelier transition, um, that atelier tradition um, a little bit more quickly. I feel like a lot of people can get kind of stuck in that type of work. Um, and I mm. knew I didn't want to continue working that way, um, but I didn't quite know how to get there. Um, and so I, it helped me sort of set up a series of um, kind of problems for myself of how to, to like force myself to paint differently, um, kind of focus on, on different formal aspects of painting and how to kind of explore those and, and find my own voice with the work. Uh, what, what school is that? Laguna College of Art and Design in Southern California. Oh yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, cool. very sweet place too. Yeah, Marshall was saying right before we got on, he said, you know, these paintings feel so West Coast. <laughs> it never hit me like that until 
I started thinking about, yeah, the lights. And then Marshall said, you know, the sense of time. What, you can go on, Marshall. You, you said some great stuff. Yeah, I, just, I mean, it's, I, I never, I haven't met you before, but looking at your work, it's like, wow, these feel like someone painting who, who has space to move their arms without hitting someone, you know, <laughs> like in New York, if, if you, if you try to put your coat on, you're going to hit somebody at some point. And it's like, yours just have a sense, even though they're packed of like someone who doesn't live under those restraints. <laughs> it's a good thing about being out in Colorado. I'm able to have, have a, a studio that's quite large and, and, and I feel like I'm a little like a fish in a fishbowl that grows to the size of its container. Like what I've had kind of progressively larger studios over the last decade. And I, I make the paint like paintings that are as big as I possibly can in whatever size space I have. That's uh, awesome. That's so these ceilings are 10 feet high and I'm making a nine and a half foot painting. Cause that's what fits, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent. Yeah. Uh, how do you design these? Cause they're so packed with, uh, like people and it, but there's an overall to me underlying kind of uh, tonal structure uh, that, that, you know, it's like, like you'll have a dark spot and work out of that to some degree. Tell us a little bit about how, what you're thinking about when you design the mass compositions. Yeah. This one that we were talking about this um, uh, big pool party painting um, was actually based off of, I, I've done a few that are based off of historical kind of masterpiece painting. So this one is based off of Delacroix's Massacre at Chios. Um, so I'm kind of taking from some of those positions and some of that kind of value structure uh, to pose my figures and kind of get me started. Um, but then it ends up sort of um, taking its on its own form and its own problems. And I kind of move away from that initial idea uh, and start to kind of react to what's there and try and um, get those shapes to feel satisfying and have a sense of flow and structure and um, kind of solidity to the whole thing. That's, so interesting. that's, that's interesting. So like in terms of reacting, uh, just to get a sense, would you say you're like painting figures in and out a lot or do you keep it somewhat fixed with, with I, your idea? It depends. I did a, a, a few color studies and tried to get things really kind of locked in for this one, but then I still ended up um, taking, I think, a couple figures out and adding another one in um, as I went through the process. So I, I am doing as much pre-planning as I can, but then um, still really open to having a lot of changes uh, as I get in there and start really working on it. Um, and then some of the other ones, like, you know, I started this other painting behind me as completely an abstract, and so I'm just kind of pulling and finding and changing it um, entirely over and over again. Um, so coming at them from, from different directions at, at some point. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that, that part of your process? Maybe it's too soon to jump into this moment, but could you tell us a little bit about that, that intuition, that part of you that listens to the painting um, that allows yourself to make a change when it's needed? What does that feel like? Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I feel like I'm problem solving. I'm looking and something isn't working for me. My eye is getting kind of caught there and I'm trying to kind of come up with ideas of how I could fix it. And sometimes I'm just putting in an abstract shape. I'm like, oh, maybe if I had kind of a gray rectangle there, that would help. Um, and then sometimes it's like, okay, no, what, what actual object could I put there? And I, I just added a little 
uh, inflatable fish at the bottom of the painting to try and lead the eye in a little bit better um, into the composition. Um, so it's kind of like coming up, finding what the problem is and then coming up with a series of solutions of how I might fix it. And each time I'm like trying my best solution and then, you know, looking at it again and sometimes that wasn't, didn't quite work. And so then trying another solution that I think is the best, uh, the best way to solve the problem. Would you say it's like building your own jigsaw puzzle from scratch? Sure. <laughs> so like, yeah, yeah, no, I really, I, I really enjoy the, yeah, I'm like playing with these shapes and colors and trying to get them to fit together. I think that is, that so is. So I feel like we, we jumped straight from like, I don't know, you at 21 to you right now. I kind of want to know how, how you got there. Like you finished your atelier training, you kind of got the best, I mean, I feel like the ateliers are what gives you the best chops. They give you all the tools you need. And then you're right. Some people get stuck there, but I feel like stuck is almost the wrong word. They choose to keep painting the same object and, uh, you know, it was a single life, you know, light source for the rest of their life. And I think that if you, if you choose to do that, I feel like there's enough in that to maybe keep that up for a lifetime, but um, it doesn't seem to have been your goal ever. Right. Unless I'm wrong. Like, did you go in there being like, I'm going to become a master portrait painter or was it like, I will get the tools and then use them to build something of my own. Yeah, no, it was always that. Um, and you're, and you're right. You can like, there's so much kind of depth to making that, that like really high quality work that you can spend a lifetime just kind of diving into it more and more deeply. Um, but for me, it felt really important to be, uh, to find a language of painting that felt more engaged with my kind of contemporary world as it is and as I'm living now. Um, I think that was part of it. Um, and I went into the, you know, into that training thinking that like Picasso had really strong painting chops and then, had you know a, a career where he kept exploring and and changing from one period to the next, um, but that I wanted that foundation um, for whatever I would do afterwards. And so, how did you kind of? What did it feel like? You graduate, or or did you start breaking the rules back when you were still a gauge? No, while I was in that training, I was all in, like I complete. And I think that's the way to get the most out of whatever academic you know setting you're in is just to like do what they're doing and and try and absorb as much as possible. Um, so I absolutely loved doing that training and I was completely by the book all the way through. Um, and then I think the, the little experiments at first felt like, you know, huge to me, but were actually tiny little things. Like we didn't make any square paintings in the atelier because that format isn't very traditional and it's like a little hard to get the composition to work in the corners if you don't have a kind of rectangle. Um, so like I made a square painting and I felt like I was, you know, doing this revolutionary, uh, bold move. Um, you know, so it's been like baby steps and then, and then it's kind of a series of, of, um, kind of trying everything that I was told not to do from there. Uh, but it started quite small. <laughs> do you say, do you still have that first square painting anywhere or do you, do you, do you at least have a, have a photo of it? Because I would, I would love to see the first, you know, like the first breaking of the rules. <laughs> I don't know if I do. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I, so yeah, uh, so yeah, yeah. I guess it, I did. Uh, I'm not sure if it, the square one was the first one. There were some other ones. So it was like while I was at some of it was also while I was um, in graduate school. A lot of the critiques were kind of would often be like, have you tried doing the opposite of what you're doing? Um, which I found a little bit annoying, but then realized was actually helpful because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing things 
by default, but that I was doing them because they were actually mine. I wasn't just doing them because that's how I was taught to paint, but because it felt kind of um, like it was really coming out of the way that I, as an individual, wanted to paint. Um, so another example is that I was told like, oh my gosh, my, my paintings were all really neutral and really gray. And I thought that I, like, I really love neutrals and I love those gray tones and like, I'm really subtle and interested in, in, the, in those kind of complexities and, and, and a more value-based painting. Um, but then I realized like, no, that's also just from the atelier training. Like that's how I was taught with like a limited palette and all of that. And so I, you know, did a series of paintings where I was putting up like bright construction paper so that there'd be nothing that was neutral in the, in the setup. So I'd have to make colorful paintings um, or getting rid of all of those neutral colors on my palette and just using cadmium so that I was having to mix my neutrals. So I'm kind of always setting up a little problem for myself to try and, um, see what sticks and then some of those things kind of have continued on and other things have you know i tried them once and they get kind of dropped to the side as i move forward yeah um, i actually remember the first painting i saw of yours so i was painting like i know i had this white dress and i was painting my white dress on a white wall and a friend of mine came over and was like oh is that like you know and i asked for a critique and it's like oh that looks fine but check out this painting of a white dress and a white wall and it was yours and it was so much better than mine <laughs> <laughs> and I remember looking at it for a really long time, trying to figure out why it was so much better than mine, but it was because you saw a greater complexity with it. Like to me, that didn't, your painting didn't look white at all. Mm -hmm. It actually looked like there's so much color in the shadows and in the whites. And, um, and as a cockette, I think I just wish I made that painting. <laughs> um, and then I found you on Facebook and kind of stopped your work ever since. Oh, so. Nice. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think I did that one actually with just, um, just a warm and cool painting. So it, like I did the whole painting with ultramarine blue, burnt sienna and white. So that I was, and I was kind of so really carefully mixing, like is that a warm shadow or a cool half tone? Like what's going on with the color? As it's shifting across that white, that was, those were fun. It was totally gorgeous, but having followed your work, it almost feels like you kind of shed uh, your skin as, as a painter every few years and you step in, you grow, and you know, you grow a different one or you step into a different one uh, where you kind of reinvent yourself completely every few years. Is, is that what it feels like? Or is it just each painting has enough change to get you to the next one? I think it has felt incremental to me because it's kind of each, each one is like another step on a progression and I can kind of, like, I feel like I'm on this, this kind of uh, pathway that I'm following, even if it's maybe not apparent to everyone else. Um, but it certainly is a challenge to let go of, you know, let, like that, th those white, I did a few of those kind of white garment paintings. And um, I don't know, like, I think like a, a lot of people liked those because they're like, imp they're impressively painted, right? And, and the, the work that I'm doing now maybe doesn't look impressive in that same way. Like you don't go like, oh, look how, you know, gorgeously rendered that is, look how real it looks. Um, and, and it's hard to, it's hard to like move away from getting that feedback. Like I, like I've been making some paintings that are like more abstract or more, you know, with kind of uglier colors and rough surfaces and um, that aren't as kind of immediately appealing to people. And it, it, it's, um, I don't know, like after having spent those four years gaining those skills to paint without, it's, it's hard for me to get away from wanting things to look beautiful and wanting to capture that sense of form. Um, and light and color and um I, I think I'm still a little kind of you know held by that um yeah um I, I hear us talking a lot about you know developing the voice 
And I feel like in a lot of ways, you're describing the development of your voice as being becoming more familiar with yourself, right? Hmm. Accepting what you know and what you don't know, what you really are interested in, uh, questioning that. And I'm wondering, um, you know, our paintings show us things about ourselves all the time. We don't know everything. That's the beauty of it. But I, I'm wondering, you know, what is the story that is writing itself into your life that you see in your paintings? Oh, uh, I'm not sure if I know about that. Um, yeah. I am surprised that I'm making all of these, you know, these like kind of party scenes, like with all of these people coming together, um, these really kind of crowded group um, gatherings that are really, I don't know, kind of joyful in some way, mm. uh, which is kind of funny. Like, I feel like my life, especially right now, is very, uh, you know, quiet and um, spending a lot of time by myself rather than in these big, um, you know, group parties. Um, so it's interesting that that's what I'm painting right now. Um, so by the way, so what is your life like right now? And how much did it change from, I don't know, nine months ago from like, you know, March when everyone's life changed a good deal? Mm. What was your life like before that? Yeah, in some ways, like the, the basic studio time didn't change that much. Um, I'm still working in my studio every day. Um, but the, I was doing some um, in-person workshops in my studio. I was hosting those um, in previous years and I in, instead this year did some online workshops which was ended up being really positive I had like 300 students in these workshops from all over the world and so that was really amazing to get to kind of bring people together and um, talk about painting in the midst of all of this so that was the biggest shift was running those ended up you know I was doing this kind of month-long workshops where we met once a week and those um, took a lot of time and effort to put together but and, and, you know, my, my personal life, I actually got married this year, which was very sweet. Congratulations. Um, Congratulations. Self-married on a local little mountaintop. You can self-marry in Colorado. You don't even need witnesses. Um, so we're hoping to have a big celebration at some point uh, when such things are possible. Um, but it's just been pretty, like, focused on the domestic sphere, which is, I guess, maybe what my paintings are kind of focused on right now too so doing a ton of gardening and some house projects and I learned how to quilt this fall which I'm really excited about I've been feeling like my paintings are kind of I've been thinking about them in relationship to quilting like these kind of patterns that are pushing up against each other and these kind of flat shapes so I thought it'd be a good idea to actually learn how to quilt and I'm finding that really fun um it's just like I don't know it's just such a quiet it's a quiet existence right now where we're just uh yeah <laughs> Does your partner uh, talk to you about your paintings or is there interest there? How does that go? Yeah, he was actually, um, he's a German professor and has a kind of strong background in art history and philosophy and um, has been great to talk to about painting. Um, and he actually was moderating the online courses. So it was really fun to put those together and do some reading together in preparation for those. Um, he has a much stronger kind of theoretical background than I do. And so that's um, really fun to get to talk through. Um, and is great. it just the two of you for now? Or is it sort of, I mean, I feel like as sort of, I don't know, the COVID 
numbers go up and the, you know, the paranoia and anxiety rises, uh, um, people kind of just splinter off into smaller and smaller units. Like, you know, the summer you could see a bunch of people outside, but now it's, you know, it's getting colder and people are yeah. getting more afraid. And then it's like, okay, maybe you see one, you know, like, like one other family and that's like no other family, but maybe just your family members. And then you, you know, and then at some point it's just you and your partner really. It's, it's <laughs> Yeah, it's true. We, we, we never potted with anybody. So we were just doing outdoor socially distanced visits kind of over the summer. And luckily in Colorado here, we get these beautiful like days in the mid fifties. So we were still having people over at, you know, noon for, <laughs> for like a lunch or something in the backyard. Um, but right now, yeah, we're, um, my parents live about an hour from here. And so we're doing a full on two week quarantine um, in order to safely spend Christmas with them. Um, and it'll be the first time we've actually been indoors with another person like since this all began. Uh, so that's gonna feel very strange, but we're, we're doing the full on quarantine right now. So I think, I think it should be okay. Um, it, so it, and that's actually feeling very sweet. Like we're just, and it's not that different than what we were doing before. It's just, <laughs> now we're ordering our groceries in too even. Yeah. Uh, do you guys ever like watch a movie now or, you know, like, like, like read a book and be like, oh my God, they're not wearing masks and that at all. Look at all these people, you know, like people in that movie cry, you know, like, like crowded on a bus. You're going to get COVID from that. <laughs> totally, totally. And it feels weird. I started these paintings, um, these pool scenes uh, before the pandemic started. And I actually took a break from them for a few months at the beginning because they just felt too weird to work on. Because um, they're, you know, they're just all these bodies piled on top of each other together. Um, and I was just like, I can't, I can't do this right now. Um, but now I've come back to them and, and, and I'm kind of enjoying working through them again. Do you work on them from your own like photo reference and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. I took some, I took photo references for these ones uh, the, the summer before this one. So I've been working. So they're like family life. members and friends in the painting. It's, that's great. Yeah, I've got my mom, dad, and friends, and some students, and yeah, all sorts of people in there. So, so wow. to me, I, I don't know, you, you said that it's hard to get away from those, you know, very beautifully rendered forms, but to me, your current work, like the evolution of it, it almost seems kind of perfect, because I see all the, you know, like, I see all the skills that you've learned, like, and they're so, it's such a strong foundation, that it feels like almost anything you do with that foundation, like, it almost feels like you can break any rules, because you have a enough of a structure to, to build on. I don't know. So Marshall, Sophia, have you guys ever watched Stephen Assel paint? Like, yeah. and you know how he can just throw like, I don't know, a large chunk of cadmium from across the room and it like forms into the perfect forehead. Uh, and then you uh, go home and try to do the same thing and like, you know, and, like a cadmium blob. And <laughs> the, the, um, but um, I, I talked to someone who's grown up with his kids and, you know, they remember him from way, way, way back when they think he was just always like that like he could always do that and the reason he can afford to experiment like that is because he just you know like his foundation is so strong he can break any color rules he wants and it feels like you've got a version of that going where like no matter where almost no matter where you go with with what you have you'll end up making something really really good because like you're drawing you know just the fundamentals of things are so strong i've also seen some of his demos when i was at gauge and found it just totally mystifying like what is this process like why are you doing that <laughs> um but i think it is i've been finding it helpful i don't know sometimes to have like something to push up against, some kind of friction into the, into the process, I think can maybe be, be helpful. Um, 
so that I'm like correcting myself and making adjustments. I think, um, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I like responding to that. Um, and maybe he does too, that having like this messy, strange beginning, like lets him pull out those forms in a, in a different way than if you're just kind of building them, you know, well, and he'd probably get bored too. Like, I think he could paint a perfect academic nude from the time he was, I don't know, 12 or something. So now he's like, oh, how much texture can I get? How much cadmium green to cadmium red can I get away with? And, you know, <laughs> like, the, um, and do those paintings ever dry? Which is, you know, something I've always wanted to ask him. So, like sorry, do you, do you find it more exciting to paint in this more shape organizing way? Do you find it more thrilling, more scary. Um, it, yeah, I think I'm, I, I feel like these paintings are, they feel really challenging to do and to put together. And I think when I'm feeling really challenged, I'm like putting as much of myself into the work as, as I can. Like there's more of me going in there because I'm fully activated all the way through the process. Um, so I'm like trying to get these shapes to balance out. Um, and it's not like, Again, I'm not just um, kind of replicating what I'm seeing from observation, which I feel like I kind of was trained to do and maybe feels a little bit easier. Um, but I'm like trying to put these kind of almost like quilted shapes together um, and kind of play with that pictorial space so that it's a little bit um, a little bit disjointed, a little bit more confusing um, in terms of kind of volume and flatness. Um, and that feels just it feels really alive to me um and i'm hoping that if i feel really like alive while i'm working on it that that kind of gets into the surface of the thing that totally comes across to me zoe i mean i'm looking through your paintings right now on your website as you're talking and i'm like yes it's exactly it there's an immediacy there's a curiosity there's it's joyful but it's willful mm. it's brazen <laughs> in some ways you know and and i guess it's leading me to this word about materiality. I'm really, really curious if you could talk to us about what that means to you. It seems like a huge part of your painting process. Yeah, I like the way you were saying that kind of immediacy too. I think I, I really like painting directly with like opaque paint that feels really present. Um, I, I'm not crazy about kind of glazes and, and kind of hiding the process and, and making it feel as if it's all come like, you know, fully formed into being, um, but rather this process that feels like um, you're seeing the marks, you're seeing the kind of layers of paint build up. Um, like it's the, the time that, went, that I spent making the painting is all kind of visible and present in the painting. Um, and they feel kind of, yeah, I, I really like working on these large paintings. I feel kind of embodied when I'm working at this kind of life-size scale. Um, and and they, they, are, they do have a lot of materiality to them. They're really kind of, they end up being kind of crusty and chunky by the end um, because I've repainted the figures and moved them around and made all of these shifts over time. Do you, do you feel like you use a lot of white in your paintings? Yeah, I started buying that in like the big uh, jars because <laughs> I like so much of it. <laughs> That's the one I like. I, and so I, yeah, the other ones I buy, I'm buying in the large tubes, but the white I buy in, in a like 32 ounce can and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, knifing it out onto the palette every day. Great. Yeah. I think that's interesting. You know, white is something that comes up with Bernardo Siciliano. We had him on the show a year ago and he always is telling us to use more white. You have to use more white. And he's always saying, paint with a bigger brush, use more white. And you, know, you have that risk of becoming chalky, 
you know, it can become chalky, but your pieces, you know, they never feel that way to me. They always feel brilliantly chromatic and tonal before they would feel chalky. But what's your relationship with white? I like white. <laughs> I like I like when they feel like they're like I, I'm using a full white as my lightest light, like that things are really hovering kind of off, like I'm keying off of that lightest light and everything else is sort of stepping down from there. Um, but that really sort of keyed off of like pure titanium white, basically, um, so that they, they can get as bright as possible. Um, and yeah, I guess I do use a lot of white. And I, I think I'm, I also love those old frescoes, like a Piera della Francesca. And they, they have that, like you could almost say that that's chalky, but it's not chalky at all. Like it's, it's um, but it has this, um, I don't know, there's like a quality to the paint that's very, really luminous and isn't, doesn't have the kind of baroque black that things are emerging out of. They, they all feel kind of light filled. And, and there's a sense of the surface of those frescoes, like, that there's this solidity to them because they're painted on a wall and the forms are all kind of volumetric, but they're like emerging out of that flatness of the wall um, that I just find so exciting. Um, so I think I'm, I'm thinking about the color maybe in relationship to those a little bit too. Paint can sometimes become anemic, you know, like I've been told that and I felt that and I've seen that in paintings and I think that you avoid that so beautifully so brilliantly in all of your work do you use like this um back and forth do you go between you know painting thickly then scumbling and then maybe glazing and going back on top like what are you, what is your thinking in terms of you know the opacities or viscosities of paint when you're moving through the image yeah so i do occasionally play with that stuff um i guess with like with the abstract one here i've been playing with that a lot um with with different types of um kind of different things I can put into the paint and how I can use it. Um, but for the most part, I'm using like thick, I'm not doing any glazing or scumbling really. It's, it's sort of like scumbling, but I'm like dragging thick paint across the canvas and just like, uh, because I'm kind of dragging it across, there's bits of what was underneath before that show through. So I'm not pushing the paint all the way into the surface of the canvas. Um, so I'm basically just doing thick opaque paint um kind of building up in, in, in a bunch of different layers uh, with a knife with a or... bristle brush usually yeah with with that process i could imagine that it, within the strata there's layers that you really like but maybe you know you don't want to be select you don't want to be like um defensive painters do you have any advice for having little passages that you like that might might not be the right shape? Do you hold on to things? Do you let things go? It seems like your, your paintings are full of beautiful little moments and how precious do you get about a nice looking moment? I do, I like, I try and hold on to them as long as I can. Um, and then they'll often end up just going eventually. Um, I, I will kind of like slowly be adding this next layer that's sort of covering everything up and I'll be like, oh, maybe I can just cover up this section. And then I'm like, oh no, we need to cover up the next section. And then it's like, by the, by the time I finish, I've just covered up the whole thing. Um, so I really am trying to, you know, in, in writing, they talk about killing your darlings or whatever. Um, I'm really trying to be willing to let go of anything. And I, and I am, things just, things do end up getting obliterated. Um, but, yeah, so I'm kind of slowly building up to that. Uh, I'm not deliberately trying to destroy the things that, that I you love. You know, the <laughs> I like 
it just happens to help the whole painting sometimes. And do you, do you sort of know what what the next incarnation of you as a painter will be? Because, you, you know, you will change, like, like judging from the fact that you've changed every few years, you know, uh, um, you'll probably change again. Uh, or do you just kind of feel it out painting by painting? Yeah, it feels like, um, like I can only see like one or two paintings ahead of, of where I'm at. You know, it's like the headlights in the dark where it's just, you know, there's, only 10 feet that are illuminated here. Um, and I'm kind of on this path and, and, and moving forward. And it feels like there's a logic to like what I've tried with one painting and then what I want to do in the next. Um, but I'm, I'm not at all sure where that's going to lead. I want to feel, I want to be open to that leading wherever it kind of needs to go, I guess. Um, do, you, do you know if one of your paintings done for sure? I, I do finish them and, and then just, you know, send them off and I don't really, I, I feel done with them and, and don't, I, I've never like, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think I, I just, I am kind of done with them. <laughs> do, do you have any insight on what that would be, that doneness? So, there are some that I think I've kind of rushed to a conclusion because I had a show coming up or something and I'm trying not to do that anymore. Um, I think there are some paintings that I don't feel that are, I'm done and I wouldn't want to work on again, but I don't feel like are, I don't know, as, as strong as some of the other paintings. But the good ones, it feels like they start to kind of settle into themselves and they start to have this resonance for me um, where, you know, in, in a simple way, it's like, okay, nothing's bothering me anymore. I can like, my eye can move through the whole thing seamlessly and I'm kind of interested in the path that it takes and there's nothing that's stopping me and catching my eye. Um, but then in a... I don't know, in a more ephemeral way, there's something that feels like it starts to kind of, like I'm vibrating with it or something, uh, that, that, we're, that it's doing for me what I wanted it to do, what, and what, um, you know, in the best cases, what I, what I, you know, there's like an energy that you get out of really great paintings when you're in the museum, you know, that you get out of a, like a Velasquez painting, like just emanates this like energy at me. Um, and when I feel like I've had a painting that's really worked, there's like a little hint of that sense of like, oh, this painting is like, it's um, putting off something here. I don't know. I love hearing you kind of describe your process because it, it makes me feel like, you know, the story that you're writing about yourself, I asked you that question earlier. It's a hard question to answer. Um, it seems like, the story is about grabbing every moment and living each day in that moment and making, making your painting activate you so that you come alive. Mm. And what you're saying about making it vibrate for you, that kind of clicked. Mm, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that is, that is true. Yeah. And a lot of the paintings are there. I'm sort of painting these really everyday moments like, um, you know, like a dishes on a dish rack or something like things that are very mundane um, and, and trying to kind of find the, yeah, like what it is to be with those things um, kind of as I'm actually living with you them. You also make them uh, like, like, like that dishes in a rack painting, um, like you make them feel important. And I think just by virtue of paying attention to them, which I think is one of the most magical things about painting, like in your case, you can do it successfully. The, um, you can make it feel important to others. Uh, but I feel like even someone who's not nearly as good of a painter as you, just by virtue of spending so much time truly looking, uh, it becomes important to them. Like the object becomes important to them. Like your magic is like, you make me feel like that dish rack is important too. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I feel like my teacher, Juliet Aristides, would talk about like, 
and I was, I was painting a pear and she was like, you are the only person who can capture this pear and no other pear in like the history of the world has looked like this pear. And like, you have to capture it before it dies. Like there's some, like there's this urgency to like looking so intensely and, and um, actually like taking the time to slow down and really look at, at, at what's around us um, that gives meaning to these things. I think that there is something really Kind of, um, that's a fascinating topic because it's almost like there's something like almost shamanistic about that, like imbuing something with worth internally, like, I don't know, a crystal that someone has had positive thoughts over for two years is more important than another crystal. Or who's that artist, uh, Tom Friedman, who stared at the white canvas for a thousand hours or whatever, <laughs> and that became really expensive. Like, I, I love the idea of just, like, looking deeply or appreciating it, all the sudden. I don't know, Marshall. I, I hate the idea of that guy who stared at the blank canvas for a thousand hours. I think he's an asshole. But then, <laughs> then. I, think, I think it's the mo- one of the most brilliant things that ever happened at all. Yeah, but me and you never agree about anything. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. But, but, but here's the thing. He made it important to himself, but then I feel like by making it expensive, he's trying to make it important to other people rather than by making it visually interesting, which it isn't. You know, the, this, this guy staring at the canvas isn't. And just because something is important to you and you put a high price tag on it doesn't mean it should be important to everyone else, right? And I feel like it almost negates like, you know, okay, so like someone like Zoe who spent thousands of hours actually like first learning how to paint and then learning how to do something different with like to kind of find her own path using the tools that she she'd acquired which means that her dish rack looks magical because it carries with it your years of practice and your years of experimenting and that asshole with the white canvas is a <laughs> All right, all right, all right. I can scrap that. <laughs> scrap that train of thought. That's very negative. <laughs> I think what we're saying, we're talking about action. Well, it makes me think, um, I think about like de Kooning, who would spend, he would spend like a, a ton of time just sitting and looking at the painting and then going up and making the actions on it really fast. Um, so maybe the paintings don't, you know, the, some of them look like they were done really quickly. Um, but there was so much looking that went into it. But I think joining up the action and the looking maybe are important uh, for us <laughs> painters. <laughs> or maybe for us specifically, like obviously not for the blank canvas guy. But um, actually something I, I meant to ask earlier um, is so you finish, you know, you finish undergrad, you know, you finish your atelier, you finish grad school. How do like, well, one of the reasons we call this podcast our grind after, you know, a lot of fighting about, about what it was going to be called is because it's, um, it's supposed to be, you know, like kind of the day in, day out existence of how do you survive as an artist, both kind of like, both like financially, emotionally, like how do you make this kind of weird, crazy life choice that you made actually work. So how did you make it work? Did you start showing right out of, right, right out of grad school or, you know, did, 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 did you, I don't know, to, uh, teach quilting somewhere for a bit or that, what, what was your, what was your path? Yeah. Um, I was kind of showing and selling my work all the way through and I've been lucky that people have come along with me as I've changed. Um, but I like, even while I was at Gage, they would have these kind of student shows at the end of every year. And I was selling kind of the work that I was doing as I was going through the atelier and participating in small group exhibitions in the local kind of Seattle greater area. Um, 
so it was just kind of, it just sort of continued. Um, and while I was in graduate school, I was selling the work that I was doing there and started being able to actually make enough to support myself um, while I was in the middle of graduate school. Um, and that's kind of continued on. So I had a, my first solo show right after I graduated and then have um, been able to kind of keep painting. Um, so I was just painting full time for the first two years after graduate school. Um, and then I started teaching a little bit and I've just, I've liked both the kind of extra income source and the sort of stability that that brings. It's sort of raised my income, like I was making enough, um, but now I'm like, you know, I bought a house and I'm like trying to build a more um, kind of long-term stability um, in my life. And so having that extra income source has been nice. And then I've also really appreciated um, having some contact on, you know, on a regular basis with other humans. Um, Cause this whole painting thing can, can get, um, can get quite isolating being in the studio all day, every day by yourself. Um, so it's been really wonderful to have um, some sense of community around the painting uh, through those courses. Um, yeah. What do you do in the studio to keep yourself occupied? Is it music or books on tape? I do, do way too many podcasts and a lot of books on tape as well. I don't do very much music. I'm just, I, I've listened to, I think I'm on like the Stitcher app. I've listened to like 6,000 hours of podcasts, which is just, you know, it's like way too many podcasts. <laughs> which, which ones do you um, like? It must be more than six. That, that can't be right. It's like 600,000. I, I don't, just way too many hours. Um, uh, I like I, I like a lot of the Slate podcasts where it's like three people chatting about a topic. That format seems to work pretty well, where it's just kind of nice background chatter, um, but that isn't too distracting. Following a narrative sometimes can be kind of hard while I'm painting. Um, I'm always like really excited about them, and then I'll come home to like tell Peter about this podcast that I was listening to, and then I've only actually retained like thirty percent of the information because uh, I was actually painting while I was listening to it. Um, so I'm, it makes for really bad stories. I'll like start and then be like, oh yeah, I actually don't remember the salient details of this. So. Well, if you're like trying to summarize anything good, uh, you know, if you try to summarize like Romeo and Juliet, you know, you're like, okay, there's like a boy and, you know, the boy met the girl and then they ended up killing themselves. <laughs> so, but I would have like forgotten that they actually killed themselves. I mean, I would be like, uh, and then, yeah, I don't really remember what happened after that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> I, I want to ask a question about this, kind of like piggybacking off of Dina's question. He asked you a question about what is the art grind? And your, your journey, you know, as an artist from even from the atelier to now, it seems like you're just slowly adding parts to your ship, you know, like a sail, a rudder, a steering wheel, a mini fridge, like you have it all. You, feel, you, you seem like a really successful artist in this way. I'm wondering, like, the painting part, you know, it's, everybody is, you know, we're an artist because we're compelled to be one, right? You're an artist because we're compelled to be artists. But that balance of, you know, how much painting does that make up in your balance? You know, what does is, what is balance mean to you when it comes to your, to your art grind? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it, it's true. It does sometimes feel like a grind um, where I, I'm like really regimented about it. I come into the studio um, basically from nine to five, five days a week. I'm just like doing my working day hours. Um, and sometimes I'm feeling tired and not that excited about what I'm working on. Um, and I try and be flexible about what I work on while I'm in here. Like I can kind of switch from painting to painting to kind of shake things up or start something new. Um, 
it's been helpful to have, like I just did a little study from observation of some geranium leaves. Well, you know, to take a break from this nine and a half foot tall painting, like it's helpful to have kind of different sized, you know, different types of projects going, observational work and work that's more compli complicated and, and based on photo references. Um, like being able to move through those different modes, I think helps me a lot. Um, what takes the pressure off of you? What, what takes the pressure off? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Like you said, you built, you painted geranium, and then you come back to this big painting. Is that because sometimes a big painting becomes a pressurized space in your head? Sometimes I, I feel like I need to let things sit, especially like when I'm starting a painting. I have this tremendous amount of energy for it, and I like know what I need to do, and I'm just like blasting away at it. You know, I can spend eight hours a day like plowing through the beginning stages, and then as I'm trying to finish it, it becomes a little bit less clear immediately what needs to happen. And I don't want to like power through that and push and like force it. I, I think it, it's for me, it's worked better to kind of let it sit and work on something else and kind of be looking at it, at it out of the corner of my eye or kind of as I'm washing my brushes in the evening, kind of just glancing at it and sort of giving it time to settle into itself. Um, and for me to kind of build that relationship with it and know what to do. Um, so I'm kind of, I, th I'm, I think I'm nearing the end of this one. So I think I spent like an hour on it this morning and then I went and painted my geraniums. Does your mind feel full at that moment? Like, okay, here it is. Uh, I'm not sure what to do next. I'm going to let it breathe. Like, what is that? What, what's, what's the pain telling you? I mean, sometimes that's frustration. It's just like, oh shit, I've like, what, what, I don't know what to do with this now. Um, and and some, sometimes I end up leaving it in the, you know, the, the one behind me was actually two separate paintings and then I'm, I'm right now combining them together. Um, and it was like a, a much more fully realized, like, where, where's the other one? Like a fully realized representational painting here. And it just felt like it didn't have that energy that I wanted it to have. It didn't ever, and I've been working on this painting for like two and a half years. Um, so I, it's like been sitting for a long time. Um, sometimes they just sort of easily and naturally resolve quickly and other times I feel like I get stuck on things and frustrated with them and, and let them kind of sit for a while and then I'll come back to it when I have a new idea of like, oh, here's what I need to do to solve it. And sometimes that actually solves it and, you know, a lot of the time it doesn't actually solve it and then I have to try something else. But I think I'm always waiting to have that sense of like, oh, I've got a solution for this um, to dive in. Um, because if I don't have an idea of like how to solve the problem, how to go into it again, um, then I'm just kind of mucking around. And Now it's like art has a certain utility in your life, like galleries and finances are tied to it. Um, do you find it um, more or less rewarding with, with now that it serves a function? Yeah, I think I really, it feels really important to me to be making a living as a painter. To Like that feels like part of the cycle of the whole thing. Like I'm making these things and putting them out into the world and then they're being like received. I don't know. And like it feels good to, to have that kind of cycle and, and feedback. But you'd probably do it even, even if you didn't. I would in some way, but I feel like I wouldn't be able to make these giant paintings if I didn't have somewhere to send them. Like I wouldn't, you know, like... It, I wouldn't make more and more of them if they weren't going out into the world. Because um, once I'm done with them, I just want them, I want them to go so that I have room to make the next, the next thing. Um, so I, I, 
course I would be doing, I would be doing creative work of some sort. Um, yeah, regardless. And, and that's what I'm doing. And, you know, in my free time, I'm now making quilts and doing other things. But I, re- I recently, I, I read this definition of happiness as meaningful pleasure. And I feel like for me, that's what the art grind is. Like it is a grind. I feel like I get excited for like 10 seconds when I start a painting and maybe 10 more seconds when I'm like right about to finish. And then the rest of it is just trying to like, just trying to figure things out and make things look okay and making a bunch of mistakes and then trying to fix things that, you know, but overall, like it's still such a pleasure and it's one of the few pleasures that continues to feel meaningful like after 20 years of doing it I'm not, I'm not sure if anything I'm making is any good but the feeling of meaningful pleasure kind of persists and you're right it does feel important to make a living at it but partially because making a living at it gives you the opportunity to do more of it yeah it's provided the the space and the time for me to be able to kind of keep making more paintings which is basically like if you were, I don't know, waitressing or teaching full time, like nine to five, you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing right now. And you probably wouldn't be able to grow as quickly as you're growing right now either. Like Sophia said, you're adding more parts to the ship. Maybe the ship needs an espresso machine now. <laughs> I like that description. Yeah, I do feel like I'm kind of, I keep investigating different aspects of what it is to be a painter and I'm kind of getting more complexity to to what I know and understand and can try and figure out um, as I go through. So what do, what do you tell your students like when, when they ask what the life of a painter is like or where when, you know, basically when they're like, how can we be just like you? <laughs> um, don't know if there's an answer <laughs> to that. Um, I don't know. For me, I think it, it, it has been for me about continuing to set up new problems for myself like a new little challenge to do each time. Like that's the thing that for me that gets me excited and engaged is these little formal challenges. So like this, um, like the, my little geranium leaves that I just painted the last couple days, um, I said, I, you know, Gamblin sent, sends out those torrid grays. So like these pre-mixed grays that were just like the slop that was left over from what was in their paint machines. Um, so I made, I made my geraniums with like five different grays that I just had had and, and without white. So I'm usually always painting with white and I was like, oh, can I make a painting that has, that's like based on all of these grays and has no white in it. So I had, I had this other weird tube of, of kind of a light gray paint that I, you know, am using as kind of almost as the white. Um, and then a couple other colors that I added in. So like having this, like something to kind of constrain myself to like get me excited um, and so it's like, there has to be some little different piece to the, to the kind of question that I'm asking with each painting. Um, and that feels like that propels me forward. So uh, what do you do when you're not painting actually? Like, or, or quilting? Because I feel like quilting is kind of part of your painting process now. Or the- <laughs> Just in the last uh, three months. <laughs> But I, I feel like part of um, what COVID has taken away from me personally, I don't know about everyone else, is the ability to know what to do with free time. Like right now, I'm like, what would I do with free time if I had it? What would you? What, what do you do with free time if you have it? That was why I started quilting, actually, is I was like heading into the fall and winter. And I was like, I need something that's going to make me happy to be indoors like in evenings and weekends by myself. And that's going to take like 100 hours. Um, and um quilting is doing the job with that. And I, I'm like totally content to be, um, you know, working away on this project uh, in my living room. But normally I love like also getting outside feels really important to me. We live in, um, you know, close to the mountains here and it's really beautiful. And that feels really good to do. Um, 
got gotten to do some hiking and camping over the summer. Um, you know, and normally it's like, you know, seeing people going out for dinner and drinks and things like that. I do miss, I do miss some of that. Yeah. You were talking about, I mean, it just reminded me that you were talking about this kind of satisfying um, aspect to making things. Um, and I think, I think I, I really have that in a strong way. Like I'm not as, I, and, I, and I think other people have different things that satisfy them. Um, but for me, like I don't love cooking because you like make the meal and then you eat it and then you like have to just do it again the next day. Um, and I'm like, I'm so satisfied by like making a thing that, that then exists in the world um, in some sort of permanent way. You know, obviously it's not, you know, that everything's going to be destroyed eventually. But, um, but there's some like I've, I've like made a thing that, that then exists um, kind of out of nothing. And that feels just um, I, I'm so satisfied by that. Do you have uh, an expectation or a hope for people's reactions to the things you make once they're in the world? Do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I certainly hope that people respond to the work. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really open to people kind of putting their own narratives or their own thoughts into it. I don't feel like I have one like message that I'm trying to get across with it. I'm mainly kind of using these figures to explore, you know, shape and color and composition and, and kind of how to put these things together. Um, but I'm hoping that, that people res will respond to those shapes and colors and that that, that kind of gives something out, out, I guess, for sure. Do you have hope uh, for uh, as far as spring, summer, like when we're kind of on the other side? <laughs> What's your hope for life in, in general? Yeah, I'm excited to travel again someday uh, and, and see more painting, see paintings in person again. I miss that. Um, I, I get a lot of inspiration by kind of going on regular trips and, and spending time in museums and really studying paintings. Um, so I'm hope I'm hoping that, you know, I'll get to do that again. Um, what was the last trip that you took? Well, I mean, the last actual trip was a teaching workshop to, to North Carolina that was like just at the beginning of the pandemic where it, like, it was too early to, in, like before, you know, the week before I was leaving, it was like, oh, maybe we should cancel this, but probably not. And then by the end of the trip, it was like, we should not have done this. <laughs> um, this was a mistake. You know, I think it was maybe the, the second to last day of the workshop that like the NBA was canceled and it was like, what are we doing here? If they're canceling the NBA, I don't know. Um, but before that, and I can't, yeah, before that, I think the, I'd been to New York, um, you know, the, maybe a few months before that, the previous fall over um, Thanksgiving kind of time. So, yeah. I have, I don't know how many more questions we're going to be asking you, but I want to make sure I get this one in. Um, we had Alex Konevsky on the show, and he said something that I wrote down, listening to it later. I wasn't even at the interview, but I, he said something like, I know what I want, but I don't know what it looks like. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I think there is something to that, um, to, to working in this more exploratory space that adds some elements of kind of abstraction or some elements of kind of finding it um where you know how how, how you want it to feel um but i don't i also maybe don't always have an idea of what the end result is going to be um yeah i think i, I kind of agree with that that's nice i think you just solved something in my life that, <laughs> which which is actually why i don't like to cook 
and, and you're right. It just disappears. Like you spend all this time preparing it and, you know, and then it's just gone. Whereas if you make something with your hands, it sticks around the, um, and wherever it goes, you know, you've made a thing. Yeah. I, I really, I really like those, that, that aspect to it for sure. I like when other people cook. I really like eating food. It's just the, the making of it. It's just a lot of work. <laughs> nice. I mean, I, you know, there, there's, you know, different art forms that people respond to. Like, I, I also, I don't know, I, I, I just don't feel like I respond to music that strongly either. Like, I studied violin for, like, 12 years growing up, and I was a terrible violinist. Or, I mean, I was a, I was a mildly competent violinist after, you know, 12 years of, like, diligent practicing every day. Um, and then painting just, feel, you know, it felt like it just, like, clicked for me. It was so... Um, uh, it just felt like a really natural way for me to work. It, it really fits my kind of interests and proclivities. You know, I don't know if that's like, like in same, you know, it's a question for Sophia and Marshall as well, but um, like, I remember when I first picked up a paintbrush and the feeling was like, and, and I, what I made wasn't very good or any good at all, but the feeling was like, this is what I want to do every day for the rest of my life. And I will try to have a life that allows me to do that. Was it like that? Like you just, felt like you found your saying yeah yeah no I think I've uh, yeah I've always always wanted to you know since I was making stuff since I was really little and since I was 13 wanting to be an artist and figure out how to do that and I had no idea what that really meant or what that would look like but I was like that was my that was my uh, to me it actually looked almost exactly like what you made like you went through your studies and you did your 10,000 hours and and then you found kind of the language that you want to speak with and the book that you want to write uh, the, um, and, and you're doing it this is your book and Sophia thank you for that analogy which is much better than what I had in my head <laughs> the, the, um, and yeah so we think, thank you so much I, and Marshall Sophia do. hey thank you for listening and coming along with us on this long journey I hope you got some good takeaways from this interview I want to let you know that we have an official Art Grind podcast hotline now so call us and let us know what sort of creative projects you have going on during these crazy times. Let us know what's on your mind, and we'll play it on our next episode. The number is 929-267-4830. Again, it's 929-267-4830 at artgrindpodcast.com. And follow us on Instagram. And if you feel like supporting us financially, you can easily hit that donate button on our website. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review on iTunes. That will really help us. We love all the support we get from our listeners and hope to do our best to bring you more great interviews for you. So be safe out there and stay on the grind.